Chapter Thirty of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Thirty. Mr. Cavendish was led back to his own house that evening by General Travers, whose claim of acquaintance was too decided to be rejected. He never knew very well what passed between the moment when Miss Marjoribanks began to expound to him the urgent necessity that he should confide in her, and the moment in which he found himself in his own house, admitted eagerly by the surprised and anxious servants, and conducted by the energetic soldier that he had taken leave of lucilla at her own door that he had watched her white dress sweep away into the dark garden with a faint sense that it was his only remaining protector who thus left him and that after that he had smoked a horrible cigar with mr centum and been brought home by the old acquaintance who had turned up at so unlucky a moment was all that the poor man was aware of and yet it is to be supposed that on the whole he behaved himself very much like other people since general travers had no distinct idea that his company was undesirable or that his cordial recognition was anything but welcome the general indeed took it as quite natural under the circumstances that cavendish should be a little confused a man who is no longer a very young man and has a character to support does not care to be found mooning with the object of his affections on a summer evening like a boy of twenty and general travers was perfectly aware that he had thus a very good joke against cavendish it is worth a man's while to set up a bachelor establishment in the country the general said by jove i wish i could do it it makes a fellow feel arcadian and ready for anything and for his own part he was very ready to seize upon his former acquaintance a man who belonged to his club and had a chance to know what he was talking about as for charlie centum the soldier said what between business and matrimony he has grown the greatest guy imaginable and i can't go off directly you know and then there's always this business about the depot it's immense luck to find you here cavendish general travers added with flattering cordiality and if poor mr cavendish was not grateful it certainly was not his friend's fault he led the way into his house with a glum countenance and a sinking heart though fortunately the latter was not visible it was a very nice house fitted up with all that luxury of comfort which a man who has as mrs centum said only himself to look to can afford to collect around him mr cavendish had only himself and he had made his habitation perfect though on the whole he did not pass a very great deal of his time at home he had some nice pictures and a good library though he was not particularly given to the arts and he had an admirable cellar as all the gentlemen owned in carlingford though for his own part he was very moderate in that point and did not give himself any airs on the subject mr centum on the contrary was one of the men who talk about vintages and raise expectations never to be carried out and general travers could not but feel the force of the contrast as he sat deep into the night and talked over everything with a man whom by that time he felt convinced was one of his best friends as for mr cavendish it would be very difficult to describe his feelings 
he had been knocking about in all sorts of poor places making clandestine visits to his sister and hovering round the more than suburban simplicity of grove street and the sense of being once more enveloped and surrounded by all that was pleasant to the eye and comfortable to the outer man was wonderfully consolatory and agreeable but his mind was in a dreadfully harassed condition all the same he was preoccupied to the last degree wondering what miss marjoribanks really knew and how far he had betrayed himself and to what extent it would be safe as she herself said to confide in lucilla and at the same time he was obliged to listen and to show a certain interest in the general stories and to make now and then a painful effort of mind to recall some of the mutual friends referred to whose names and persons had in the meantime slipped out of his memory all the babble of the club which general travers felt must be so refreshing to the ears of a rusticated member fell as flat upon mr cavendish whose mind was full of other matters as if it had been the merest old woman's gossip which to be sure it slightly resembled in some points the gallant general made himself so agreeable that he nearly drove the unfortunate man out of his senses and when he had exhausted all other means of aggravation returned with fresh zest to the sentimental circumstances in which as he supposed he had found his companion out very sensible i call it said general travers to be candid i don't call her strictly handsome you know she's too big for that and i don't suppose she's of any family to speak of though perhaps you don't mind that trifling circumstance but a woman that will dress well and light up well and knows how to give a man a capital dinner by jove and no doubt has a pretty little bit of money into the bargain i respect your taste cavendish said the friendly critic with effusion and somehow this applause irritated its recipient more than all that had gone before i'm sure i am much obliged to you said mr cavendish though unfortunately i don't merit your approbation miss marjoribanks is a great friend of mine but she won't have me and i don't mean to ask her at the same time she has very good connections and that is not the way to talk of a girl of twenty she is worth a dozen of your fast young ladies said the sufferer with some heat he was not in the least in love with lucilla and indeed had a certain dread of her at this present moment but he could not forget that she had once stood by him in his need and besides he was glad of any subject on which he could contradict his visitor i dare say her family is better than either yours or mine scotch you know said mr cavendish trying to laugh as for the general he leaned back in his chair with an indulgent air and stroked his moustache beg your pardon meant no offence he said for my part i don't see that it matters if a woman is good-looking and has something you know for instance there was a pretty little thing a charming little thing lake or something like that ah said mr cavendish it was a frightful want of self-control but he had been a long time at full strain and he could not help it it did not occur to him for the moment that nobody in his senses would have applied the term little thing to barbara and after all the slow aggravation that he had been submitting to the idea of this insolent soldier interfering in grove street was beyond his power of endurance as for the general the tone of this exclamation was such that he too turned round on his chair and said yes with equally unmistakable meaning startled but ready for the emergency whatever it might be 
thus the two looked at each other for a second friends in the ordinary acceptation of the word and yet perhaps on the eve of becoming enemies mr cavendish had up to that moment pretty nearly forgotten barbara lake it was a piquant sort of occupation when he had nothing else to do and when the world according to his morbid fancy was on the eve of turning its back upon him but from the moment when he had said between his teeth confound these women and had felt the excitement of the approaching crisis barbara and her crimson cheeks and her level eyebrows and her contralto had gone altogether out of his mind at the same time a man may feel himself at liberty to forget a woman when other matters of more immediate interest are absorbing his attention and yet be driven furious by the idea suddenly presented to him that somebody else who has nothing earthly to do with it is about to interfere mr cavendish however recovered himself while the general sat staring at him and began to see how ridiculous his defiance was well go on i did not say anything he said and lighted another cigar yet he did not face his companion as a friendly listener should but began to beat measure to an irritating imaginary air on the table with a certain savage energy by moments as if he were beating time on the general's head then why do you stop a fellow short like that said general travers i was going to tell you of some one i saw the other day in the house of your your friend you know she was under miss marchbanks wing and that was how i saw her and i hope you are not playing the gay deceiver my friend a little thing round-faced hazel-eyed a little soft rosebud sort of creature said the general growing eloquent by jove cavendish i hope you don't mean to make yourself disagreeable these sort of looks you know it was rose i suppose said mr cavendish relieved in a moment and to tell the truth he could not help laughing the more eloquent and angry the general grew the more amused and contemptuous grew his entertainer he was so tickled by the position of affairs that he actually forgot his anxieties for the moment no doubt it was rose he repeated and laughed rose what anybody could see in that little dragon and then the contrast between the soldier who prided himself on his knowledge of the world and liked to talk of position etc to the annoyance of those who had none and the amusement of those who happened to possess that valuable qualification and the mistress of the female school of design filled mr cavendish with amusement perhaps all the more because he himself was in a similar scrape but at all events being in the same position he ought not to have found it so ridiculous as he seemed to do as for general travers he was as much disposed to be angry as a moment before mr cavendish had been it might be rose he said or lily either for anything i can tell but there is nothing laughable in it that i can see you seem to be perfectly au courant at all events which i hope is quite satisfactory to miss marjoribanks said the soldier and then he resumed after a disagreeable little pause i suppose everybody meets there on thursday according to what they tell me what do you do with yourself cavendish in a general way so far as i can see there ain't very much attraction these steady-going dinners are enough to kill any man always excepting your uh, friends said general travers with a slight sneer 
it's to-morrow ain't it thursday and he looked with what seemed to his victim an insulting consciousness in poor cavendish's face but in reality the general did not mean to be insulting and knew nothing whatever of the horrible internal pang which rent his companion when it was thus recalled to him that it was to-morrow a fact which up to this moment had not occurred to the unfortunate to-morrow and not even to-morrow to-day for by this time it was two o'clock in the morning and the unwelcome intruder was wasting the little time he had for deciding what he should do once more his own personal anxieties which he had put aside for a moment at the sudden dictate of jealousy surged over everything and swallowed up all lesser sensations to-morrow and by this time everybody knew that he was in carlingford and he could not stay away from the weekly assembly without attracting general attention to himself and throwing open the floodgates of suspicion what was he to do should he turn his back on the enemy once and for all and run away and break off his connection with carlingford or should he dare everything and face the archdeacon and put his trust in lucilla as that high-minded young woman had invited him to do with these thoughts in his mind it may be supposed that mr cavendish gave but a very mingled attention to the babble of his visitor who found the wine so good and the cigars exquisite and perhaps had begun to be a little moved out of his ordinary lucidity by their effect you've got a nice little house cavendish said the general but it's too small for a married man my boy these women are the very deuce for turning a man out of his comfortable quarters you'll have to go in for boudoirs and those sort of things and by george you'll be an ass if you do with a snug little box like this to retire into said the philosophical warrior and poor cavendish smiled a ghastly smile with the strongest inclination all the time to take him by the collar and turn him out of doors but then he was a warrior and a general officer and a member of the same club and six feet high all which particulars not to speak of the sacred rites of hospitality made it somewhat difficult to carry this idea out don't you think centum will be sitting up for you he said mildly it's past two o'clock and it's thursday morning the victim said with a sigh the last words were an involuntary utterance of his own despair but fortunately they struck general travers vein of humour which happened to be lively at the moment and worked the desired but unexpected result the general laughed loud and long and declared that he respected a man who was above board and meant to look respectable for miss marjoribanks's sake and then he poured a mighty libation to lucilla and took an affectionate leave of her supposed lover the general made a great commotion in the decorous quiet of grange lane when he knocked at mr centum's door though it was nearly three o'clock in the morning nothing but his inherent dread of a woman would have prevented him from knocking up the banker to share his hilarity but mrs centum in her nightcap peaceably asleep as she was at the moment daunted the soul of the gallant soldier and naturally his recollection was not very perfect next day i had something very funny to tell you but by jove i forget what it was general travers said next morning when he met his host at breakfast and thus mr cavendish was spared the laugh which the two might have had against him
but for his part he shut his door upon his departing guest without any sense poor fellow of having done or said anything in the least funny he said thank heaven with a kind of groan of relief when his troublesome visitor was gone and then he went back again to his library where they had been sitting perhaps he never fully appreciated before the comfort of everything the handsome house which he had enjoyed so long without thinking anything of it and all the pleasant luxurious accessories of life he had been doing without them for a week or two and he had not liked it and yet at that moment it seemed to mr cavendish that he could rather be content to lose them all at a stroke to make it known in carlingford that he was ruined and had lost his fortune than that carlingford should find out that he was not after all one of the cavendishes nor the person it took him for but alas all his fortune could not bring reality to these pretensions nor hinder the exposure to which he looked forward with such horror it is true that he was an adventurer but he was not a base one nor had he done anything dishonourable either to gain his fortune or to captivate the good opinion of society which had become so important to him but there are actual crimes that would be sooner forgiven to a man than the folly of having permitted himself to be considered one of the cavendishes and having set his heart on making a figure in that mild provincial world mr cavendish knew enough of human nature to know that a duchess or a lord chamberlain would forgive more readily than mr and mrs centum any such imposition upon them and intrusion into their exclusive circle and then his sister who could not run away for her sake it seemed to him that he had better rush off at once and sell his house and furniture and horses and give up carlingford as he thought of that all the advantage of carlingford came upon him stronger than ever perhaps a man who has always been used to be recognized as one of the members of a local aristocracy would not have seen anything half so precious as mr cavendish saw in the fact of being everywhere known and acknowledged as a constituent part of grange lane recognized by the country people and by the poor people and pointed out as he passed by one and another to any stranger who might happen to be so ignorant as not to know mr cavendish to people who are not used to it there is a charm in this universal acknowledgment and then he had more need of it than most men have and when carlingford signed his patent of gentility and acknowledged and prized him it did an infinite deal more than it had any intention of doing to keep his regard and recognition he would have done anything given up the half or three parts or even on emergency all he had perhaps he had an undue confidence in the magnanimity of society and was too sure that in such a case it would behave with the grandeur worthy of the occasion but still he was quite right in thinking that it could forgive the loss of his fortune sooner than his real offence and now it was thursday morning the day of trial and what was he to do when a man has thoughts like these to entertain him nothing can be more useless than to go to bed although in ordinary circumstances at three o'clock in the morning that is about the only thing one can do poor mr cavendish however 
was not quite free to act as he thought proper he had been a long time away from home and he did not feel himself in a position to shock his servant's feelings with impunity he went to his room accordingly like a martyr carrying all his difficulties with him and those unpleasant companions naturally made a night of it when they thus had him all to themselves when sheer fatigue and exhaustion procured him a moment's sleep it was only getting deeper and deeper into trouble for then it was the archdeacon who had planted a heavy foot on his neck or general travers who with still more fatal force had found out the way to grove street when mr cavendish awoke he said to himself confound these women with more fervour than ever but at the same time he swore a mighty oath to himself that he would horsewhip the fellow who ventured to come in his way barbara lake might be no great things but at least it was to him and no one else that she belonged such was the complication that afforded him a little outlet for his temper in the midst of the dreadful difficulties of his position and the question which was constantly renewing itself in his thoughts as to whether he should go or stay the idea of presenting himself in the centre of society in miss marjoribanks's drawing-room and being met by the archdeacon and held up to public contempt there and then with all the world looking on and even travers who would carry the narrative out of carlingford was something too horrible to be contemplated and yet how was he to escape he was still in this state of mind driven backwards and forwards by every new wind when the morning came and when miss marjoribanks's note was put into his hand for the truth was that after long consideration lucilla had determined that the matter was one which could not be permitted to stand over she was of too energetic a temperament to let things linger on in an uncertain way when they could be made an end of and brought to a conclusion and then as nobody can predict what sudden and unexpected turn human affairs may take it was always possible that if miss marjoribanks did not make an end of the business dramatically and to the satisfaction of everybody concerned it might be found some fine day to have resolved itself by means of some one of those illegitimate and incomplete expedients which abound in ordinary life it was with this view that miss marjoribanks took the step of writing to mr cavendish she had written in the sacred retirement of her own maiden chamber when all the world was still perhaps at the moment when general travers was as he would himself have vulgarly called it chafing cavendish about the beautiful and disinterested friendship which united him to the young sovereign of grange lane but naturally such poor raillery was far from the virginal thoughts of lucilla at that retired and sacred hour and we may venture to add that the elevating influence of the maiden's bower in which she composed it and of the tranquil moment of meditation and solitude breathed in every line and gave force to every sentiment of the letter which mr cavendish tore open with an excited hand perhaps he was too anxious and curious to give it the solemn perusal which it ought to have received my dear mr cavendish it was very unlucky that we should have been interrupted this evening at such an important moment when i had so much to say to you but i think the best thing i can do is right feeling quite sure that when you know all you cannot possibly mistake my motives everybody has retired and i am quite alone and the silence footnote 
it is only justice to miss marchbanks to say that she was not addicted to fine writing but then she was a person who liked to have everything in keeping and naturally an emergency such as the present does not come every day and requires to be treated accordingly and a footnote and the silence seems to me full of meaning when i think that the fate of a person for whom i have so great a regard may be hanging upon it i might be afraid of writing to you so frankly if i did not feel quite sure that you would appreciate my intention dear mr cavendish it is not the archdeacon who has said anything he does not know it is you therefore of course he could not say anything directly bearing upon you but then you know if he were to meet you by hazard as he is sure to do some day and for my part i rather think he is fond of grove street you would be exposed at once and everything would be lost for we all know the prejudices that exist in carlingford i have another plan of operations to propose to you which i feel quite sure is for your good and also naturally for the good of anybody to whom you may intend to unite your fortunes i feel quite sure that it is far safer to adopt a bold resolution and to have it over at once come to dinner to-morrow if you may happen to find an enemy you will find also an unlooked-for friend and so far as i am concerned you know that you may calculate on my support i do not wonder at your being anxious about it but if you will only have full confidence in me and a little in yourself believe me it will be all over in a night if there had ever been anything between you and me as these stupid people suppose i might have felt hesitation in writing to you like this but when i know a thing to be right i hope i will never be afraid to do it i have been called upon to do many things that are not common for girls of my age and perhaps that is why i made up my mind at once to set this all straight for you once more i repeat dear mr cavendish have confidence in me come to-morrow evening as if nothing had happened and take my word for it that all will go well your friend lucilla marjoribanks p s if you would like to come and talk it over with me to-morrow i shall be at home till twelve o'clock but unless it will be a satisfaction to your own mind it is not necessary for me for i have all my plans laid it would be quite out of the question to attempt any explanation of mr cavendish's feelings when he read this letter his utter bewilderment his terror his rage his final helpless sense that it would be utterly hopeless for him or half a dozen men to enter the field against this curious complication of unknown friends and open enemies and generous protectors took away from him the last remnant of courage he did not know what to do or think he swallowed his coffee with a sense of despair and sent the rest of his breakfast away untasted thus betraying without intending it his emotions to his kitchen it stands to reason as there's a cause for it mr cavendish's domestics concluded in committee of the whole house though surely if ever man had good reason for not eating his breakfast it was he when he had gone over it all again till his head had grown utterly confused and his thoughts were all topsy-turvy mr cavendish took a sudden resolution he went upstairs and changed his dress with a certain solemnity he made a toilette more careful than if he were going as he once had gone to propose it was like nelson going into gala uniform for a battle and then he went out to discover if possible what was coming to him the difference was that in this battle no honour but only a possible salvage of reputation and fortunate escape was to be gained
End of chapter 30 Recording by Maricel Cui